This is Witchcraft Off the Beaten Path. I'm Molly Dyer. The date of this podcast is July 22nd, 2020. If you're listening, wherever in the world you are, I hope that you're staying safe and healthy and wearing a mask because you value not only your own health and safety, but mine and everyone else's too. And I hope you're still keeping the spirit of the Black Lives Matter movement alive and keeping yourself safe while doing so. My guest this week has just recently published the best-selling book, The Devil's Tome. Like me, she's an Aries. Watch out. She has served a leadership role within the Satanic Temple for many years. She's an artist, a musician in a band called Satanic Planet. I love that. She's a world traveler. She is the owner and proprietor of Serpentina, a satanic boutique a purveyor of, among other things, handmade ritual items specifically geared toward satanic ritual. When I asked her what her most beloved holy or unholy day was, her answer to me was her birthday, which makes me very happy, and we'll come back to that in a moment. If you've seen the documentary Hail Satan, which was part of your homework, you've already seen her and maybe somewhat acquainted with her already. My topic today is Ritual Within Modern Satanism, and my guest is the esteemed, very talented, and lovely Satanist, Shiva Honey. Welcome, Shiva. Hi, how are you? Thank you for joining me today. Um, Shiva, if you would, please start by telling me a bit about your role within the Satanic Temple, like how long you've been involved and in what capacity and how long you've served as part of the leadership. Sure. So I got involved with the Satanic Temple in the fall of 2014, um, right around the time when the Detroit chapter, which was the first chapter, local chapter of the Satanic Temple was uh, getting going. So I started just as a, a member of that chapter. So I was involved with a lot of the initial activities, um, of the organization. Some of the big things that we did initially were the Snaketivity display in Lansing in 2014, the unveiling of which we're just coming up to the anniversary of um, on the 25th of July back in 2015. And I served just as a member of TST for probably about a year. And then after the unveiling, um, I was had become friends with Lucian and Malcolm and some of the executive leadership of the organization. And we talked about, you know, how quickly the organization was growing and how much of a need we had for more organization (laughs) for the organization. So we put together the National Council in uh, 2016. So I I was a founding member of the National Council, which was the governing body or is the governing body now known as the International Council of the Satanic Temple. And uh, I served on that role for, I believe, until 2018. So two years and then I started, I branched out from that and I started um, helping to organize some of the bigger national events for TST, uh, like Baphomet's trip to Arkansas. And I also began to do ritual at the Satanic Temple headquarters in Salem. So my current role within TST um, is, is basically to put together events at the Satanic Temple headquarters and to also, you know, hold ritual for the Satanic Temple. So we did the first um, unbaptism, public unbaptism at the Satanic Temple last year. We've been doing black masses at the Satanic Temple headquarters since 2018. And, uh, yeah, I've just been, that's kind of been my niche. Like I am a, (laughs) uh, organizer type and I had previous experience doing community organizing. I also had the program management background. So initially the need was to kind of like establish, figure out a way to establish the organization internally. And then as that kind of moved through its phases, I found my niche, uh, and I think my true interest in involving myself in ritual, Now, I'm going to go back really quickly to something you said a moment ago before I go on, because I laughed out loud. I had to mute my microphone. (laughs) Within the Satanic Temple leadership, do you actually all refer to it as Baphomet's trip to Arkansas? (laughs) You know, I I was actually looking for, because I referenced this recently. I I referenced it recently, and I was like, was there an official name for that campaign? I was trying to, maybe it's the Rally for Religious Freedom. I think that was what it was called officially on the books the rally for religious freedom in Arkansas. But yeah, I like to think of it as like his tour, his brief tour of America. He's had a couple of them. 
He did go on. He went on a freedom tour. We actually wanted him to do a full tour. We actually wanted to stop in where we have chapters and like throw parties, but it became. It's honestly so expensive to move that statue, and the the the, uh, security situation is can be dire and, and really scary. Like. Some of the events that I've been involved with, like the Rally for Religious Freedom in Arkansas, as well as the unveiling, those were like really scary. Like you get a lot of scary people who want to be, you know, part of it or want to disrupt it or whatever. So it's, it's a, it's a very, he's, he's probably the most controversial piece of modern art that exists right now. And, uh. As you could see, just flared up in the social media with like the new conspiracy theories going around and that sort of thing. Like, people are like, "We need to burn this thing down," and they still think it's in Detroit, and it's just that wild. must be anyway. really terrifying, actually, <laughs> to know that there are what you can only call religious zealots, and I don't even know that religion plays that heavy of a part in that sort of zealotry. And I may have just made up a word, so I imagine it must be really scary. Yeah, it's like it it is actually I was reflecting on this a lot in the last week or two because I'm preparing some media for the unveiling day which is the first the first year we're celebrating the the anniversary of the unveiling in Detroit and I was just reflecting on especially like I said the Arkansas trip and and the unveiling how scary it was and how much I I really don't like being involved in that that level of of fear <laughs> and like public public protest anymore um, as I've gotten older but yeah, I mean, we had the first when we first uh, put together Baphomet or we started building Baphomet. I think one of the major news networks, it might have been Fox News, had a guy that said one of their their anchors or their pundits or whatever said that you know that all of the the Satanists who are supporting this should be like put in front of the the statue and shot, you know. And and that was somebody who was like you know on the the bankroll of some major news network saying that publicly. And then when we did the unveiling, we had. Um, we had people that were like making bomb threats. I mean, like there were people in our chapter who like took out extra insurance, and we we were we had like decoy events happening, and we've done that a couple times in Detroit. Detroit, in specific, specifically, is like really really heated, um, not a very friendly place to Satanists. But um, but yeah, we had like all these threats. There were community groups that were publishing videos with like bullet sounds and blood in them about how they were going to shut down the unveiling. And then with Arkansas, you have all of these like white supremacists and neo Nazis that were anti uh, anti TST, anti the rally. Uh, despite the fact also that we had people from all different religious backgrounds, we had like a, a a Christian pastor speak during the rally. We had folks from all different, you know walks of life and experience that we're talking there was just there was a lot of uh there was a lot of wild wild pushback in that too and and that was if we didn't have the police uh that got involved at the last minute in our very very extensive security uh that we had for that event i think we could have ended up in a hairy spot there were a lot of people like open carrying there they had the grand ragna of the kkk that was there or whatever. Uh, so it was pretty, pretty spooky, pretty, pretty scary. Yeah. I'm sure you're glad to have most of that probably behind you. Like you said, a moment ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll leave it to younger people. Now. Yeah. Pass that torch. <laughs> yeah. Passing the torch. Exactly. Shiva, how would you answer someone who asked you for a brief explanation of the Satanism that's practiced by the Satanic temple? Wow, that's a really good question. And I'm, uh, let me think of how to put it succinctly. So uh, we are a non-theistic religion. Individual members can believe what they want, but the central party line is that, you know, we don't believe in an actual Satan. We don't believe in God. You know, we don't believe that there's a, a satanic entity that we're praying to or anything like that. Um, but we are, so we are a non-theistic satanic group who believes in justice, who believes in equality, who finds, I think, working on social justice issues, as well as developing ourselves internally as part of our satanic practice. Um, we have recently developed in the last, you know, I think we've only been around for, what, like eight years? I mean, it's a very new religion that is consistent, like constantly developing and growing, um, that doesn't have a ton of dogma, that is, open for people to interpret and adapt to their lives and I think all of us are just kind of like trying to become better people and trying to make the world better in our own ways too so we are unlike the Church of Satan or some other groups we are generally speaking active politically Um, again it's not like mandated but like that's a big part of our a lot of our personal beliefs and values going back to the tenets Um, we are you know involved in 
just kind of making a lot of us felt like outsiders for a long time, bringing in the outsiders and making ourselves, building ourselves up, um, you know, communing with our fellow Satanists, working just to make just to make the world better, I guess. <laughs> I don't think that's a very succinct explanation, but like I'm trying. <laughs> There's so much to it and it's still so, you know, it's still somewhat undefined in a lot of ways. Um, you know, we were just recognized as a religion by the United States federal government last year, I believe. But there's so much that's being just kind of birthed in in the last years and the years that are coming because it is so young and so new. Is it incorrect to say that the majority of Satanists that belong to TST or our members are atheists? We have such a diverse membership. But I think that the people that I've interacted with uh, who are in leadership or who are, you know, active members of like local chapters or whatever, that's, I mean, that's my experience or non-theistic. I think that's the term that we're using now, but uh, which maybe opens up more of a maybe like ambiguity there. But yeah, either way, I would say that most of our membership is atheist or non, as I would say, non-theistic, but yeah. All right, so tell me, if you will, your origin story, the, the birth of Shiva Honey as a Satanist. I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in a very religious household. It was a very oppressive, very puritanical sort of upbringing, very abusive and uh, difficult, I would say. And But I kind of internalized a lot of the values from that, that upbringing. Uh, as I was growing up. So I, I was, uh, my mom's side of the family was Catholic and that was fine, we didn't really practice. But then my stepdad's side of the family was like fundamentalist Baptist, I guess, or evangelical, but from like the really, really shitty version of that. Like, you know, very, very like uh, racist, very uh, homophobic, pretty much anything that you can, you know, you'd write off now as really a really really bad take is what they had you know very hateful very like turned a blind eye to abuse and that sort of thing so that's what I was dealing with growing up I was I had endured a lot of shame and punishment for just like being who I was so my my solution to that when I was younger was to just kind of go along with it and it and uh just try to survive in the midst of chaotic home life you know so but as I got older I you know I went to college I traveled the world a bit and I met a lot of different people. My, my beliefs shifted and changed. And the big, I think the big turning point for me was when I was able to finally extricate myself from that, those familial situations, which coincided with me becoming a Satanist. So I helped my mom, uh, before I became a Satanist, I helped my mom get out of her marriage. She didn't have a, a lot of, um, no real economic independence. We didn't have money anyway growing up, but like she was a stay-at-home mom type person. So I helped her get on her feet and separate. And I um, got my brother out of the, my little brother out of the situation. And I got a house for us that I moved the three of us into. And we were able to kind of, after like 25 years probably, step back and heal and kind of redefine ourselves. So the first couple of years were really rocky and my mom and I butted heads a lot. Only now is she finally accepting, I think, my satanism i just gave her a, um, a copy of the book and she kind of she understands the nuance and is going through her own transformation now but um that happened around the same time that i started getting involved more with the occult which i was always interested in but i was obviously very heavily discouraged from it was the whole like you know tarot is the devil and the devil is bad and like evil and my mom used to have old astrology books because she was into all that too like back in the 70s she, she lived quite a life, but then became really conservative after a while, after she met my stepdad. Um, so those were always things I had interest in, but like things I got a lot of pushback in. So it took me into like my young adulthood to be able to really start to look into that more. And I slowly started kind of adopting my own uh, ritual practice, my own set of beliefs. And then after a couple of years, I just uh, randomly through, I did been doing a lot of performing and one of my mutual friends had invited me to just get together with a whole bunch of Satanists at a haunted house. So then I, I became part of the Detroit TST group and we started doing all these actions that I found really great. And then things just kind of grew from there. So I was so surprised when I found out about uh, the Satanic Temple because they embodied so much of the politics that I appreciated and like, especially theatrical politics and like theatrical protest. And I thought they were, they're really smart about the way they represented themselves, really smart about these legal cases that they've been involved with. And then I really, really liked the 
the ethos and the tenets of the organization as well. So after I became a Satanist, I had a rough couple of years, but like it was all due to my own sort of internal transformation and self-acceptance. And that definitely can, I think going through that process, especially somebody who is like super repressed or discouraged, it's like a rude awakening for you to confront all these things that you had maybe like buried for a long time. So for me, becoming a Satanist had to do with radical self-acceptance had to do with like a lot of trauma processing and a lot of healing. So um, that's kind of how I ended up where I where I am now and feeling a lot better. <laughs> but um, I definitely credit Satanism as as a huge healing factor in my life. And also sort of for me now, the, the central part of it's just like in everything that I do. It's the it's just it, it has completely encompassed my life in a good way. The Satanic Temple's particular brand of Satanism, as we've kind of discussed here, is in and of itself basically non-theism, and as such, its members generally hold no belief in the supernatural. So as a ritual practitioner, speaking to other ritual practitioners, how do you personally go about performing your rituals without the belief in the supernatural? That might seem like a bit of a foreign concept to most of my listeners in witchcraft. Well, I think it took me a long time to fully understand, too, because I think I played with that idea of like more supernaturalism earlier on in my journey. Obviously, coming from a Christian background, too, it all kind of like fits together. You know, you kind of trade one thing for the other. But for me, the, the deity that I'm working with, I guess you could say, is myself. So all of the power, I believe that all of the power that exists, uh, all of the, the will that could be worked it's all within myself so i would take all the energy that people give to a deity or some external force and just like re reinvest it internally and then i would say it works for me because and i talk about this in my book quite a bit and i have a an article online too if folks are interested in checking it out but there's so much scientific evidence that says that ritual regardless of like the underlying belief system whether you're a theist uh or non-theist is effective um like scientifically speaking, in doing things like improving performance, reducing anxiety, helping you deal with grief after a death. And of course, we know that ritual also helps bring communities together and can be a real sort of cohesive power between people. So for me, it's just it's kind of like taking all the best of ritual in my mind and just making it my own, I suppose, you know, so I've, I'd always been really nervous about sharing my practice, even as a Satanist, uh, the first couple of years I was nervous because even I think within our own community, we had a lot of like back and forth about what was appropriate and what wasn't appropriate. And there was a lot of people that had a lot of baggage about religion and a lot of baggage about ritual because of what they grew up with. And um, I had a lot of people that were like mad at me, either like a couple people online, but then like apparently people would send me screenshots of other people like talking shit behind my back or whatever about it. But like, you know, thinking that I was like a goofball or something because I practiced tarot or because I, you know, I have another ritual shop too that's like more middle of the road, you know, that I do things with locally and stuff like that. That's part of the reason that I wrote the book is to kind of just explain like it's okay to have a ritual practice. Um, a mystical practice, even if you want to call it that, and not have have it to be uh, connected to any sort of supernaturalism. I think now people are seeing that that's an option. And I don't think that folks who think the way that I do should give up all of the benefits that come with having like a spiritual practice or, or ritual practice, um, just because it's had all this baggage historically. You know, there's so much good that can come from investing yourself in those activities. You mentioned tarot, and that was actually my next question. I know that you're also a tarot reader. And so likewise, tell me about how reading tarot cards with no belief in the supernatural works for you. Yeah, that's wild. So I've been thinking, I'm, I, I think next year I'm actually going to do a course on like non-supernatural tarot and put it online. And I really want to talk to people more about this. It's kind of like my next little project to tackle in this world. But um, I often wonder like what other people who practice think, because I have, you know, before kind of during this whole transition period that I was going through about 10 years ago, I had seen a lot of tarot readers. I got a lot of good advice. It was kind of like seeing a therapist without having to go to a therapist and like, you know, gets, but I also saw a lot of people that were just like out of their minds. And I think tarot has been used as a way to like, you know, just kind of swindle people. And I think that there's like a good reason that it has a bad reputation and to a certain extent. And there are a lot of people that are just taking advantage of folks who are in a bad place. 
But, um, and I still don't understand, like, I think every person that practices tarot has like a different belief system that underlies their practice, just like anything else, right? You know, that's just the way it is. For me, um, tarot provides an opportunity for me to tune in to myself or if I'm reading for somebody else to help them get a moment with themselves to be able to kind of find the answers internally. So in tarot, each card represents a different archetype, a different sort of situation that you're going through. You know, even as a practitioner, there are the generally speaking traditional meanings of the tarot cards, or you could just provide your own sort of, you know, meaning to each of them. And I think just by giving yourself that opportunity to kind of sit and like pull some cards and just see how they relate to your life, it provides you a chance to open up to self-empowerment again or to healing or to just um, give yourself a, a sort of vision of where to go. So for me, it's always been a tool of empowerment and a tool of, of just kind of inner knowing. And then reading for other people, it's an opportunity for me to, you know, give them some things to reflect on. And also because I like helping people and I like talking to people and coaching people, just, just helping give people a point of reference and, a, a ear to listen and just provide them encouragement and guidance as they're moving forward. Likewise, as a tarot reader myself, I'm not an oracle reader, I'm a tarot reader, but I do know that oracle cards aren't necessarily ever going to be tarot cards, but tarot cards can always be oracle cards. And I think you hit on that a moment ago when you put your own energy and spin into what you're looking for and what you're pulling out of the deck. Yeah, so that's the thing for me too. I mean, you can use tarot cards, you can use rocks you pick up off the street, you can use a song. It's just, it's another tool for you to be able to tune in to what's happening inside of yourself or what you want to have happen. Like most of the people, I've read over like a thousand people professionally and most of the issues, everybody generally has the same issues, you know what I mean? And um, everybody is just looking for permission. It's very satanic in a lot of ways. People are just looking for permission to say, to, for somebody to say like, it's okay to leave your abusive spouse. It's okay to like quit your job and do what you want. You have some backing, you have somebody that will listen to you and somebody that will just like tell you it's okay to just do whatever you have to do to make your life better. And for me, it's that's the angle that I take with tarot. And and you can, whether you're talking about tarot cards and, and I like tarot cards a lot because they do, you know, with all the, the bad sort of baggage that tarot has, it also has like a lot of, a lot of this magical, mystical sort of like power that people have projected onto this particular tool. Um, so it's accessible to people. So, I mean, tarot can do that. Like really anything can do that, that you put like, put your, your energy into it. it can, they can all just kind of help you help yourself or help other people get insight and move forward. You know. So we're going to talk about Serpentina more in in depth in a moment, but I, I kind of want to ask this question now. Can we possibly expect a Shiva Honey tarot deck in the Serpentina store in the future? Yeah, something like that. I actually, I have a, a big project coming out. Um, you're the first person that knows, has heard of this, but I do have something that's going to come out in the future that very near future that's going to connect to the devil's tome and uh and possibly more things after that so i've there's that's definitely where i want to focus now um in the next six months to a year i think is on opening now that people are kind of opening up to ritual i think the cards again like as an accessible tool are can be really empowering and again is something that i don't think I, maybe it's because I'm bitter too that people were so mad that I read tarot for all this time. But like, I'm just like, you know what? Fuck you. It's really satanic. Like, actually, it's it's a great tool. So, I'm like that. I'm dedicating myself to opening up the community to that in the next like six months to a year too. And uh, yeah, there there should be a lot of interesting and exciting um, takeaways from that. And I'm also going to start reading to some extent again. I I've taken a break since COVID happened because I just don't feel like it's a an appropriate time to do readings right now, like right. publicly. But I think in the next month or so, I'll probably start slowly, but surely getting back into doing that, um, with Serpentina commercially, but then also like, it'll be like tarot reading, but it'll also be like, kind of like coaching and also probably include me making you some custom product that I send off or something like that. So it's like multifaceted. It's like a consultation, like an illumination session or something like that. So for people who need it and just want some grounding, it'll be something cool that they can get into. Shiva, tell me if you would, how you introduced satanic ritual into the satanic temple. 
So when we started, I think, you know, previous to me, people were practicing ritual and TST. Um, I think the first events that we did as the Satanic Temple in Detroit, again, being the first chapter, there were there were certain rituals that we I guess we called them rituals that were that were done, but they were more like performances or like political speeches. There was this sort of idea of for me in the book, I talk about. Now I can't even remember the, the terminology I give to it, but there's like, um, there's basically ritual for like a performance or there's ritual in my mind that can be used as a, as a way to really individually engage people and create some sort of like, you know, mystical experience. So a lot of- I think you mentioned that in your book, don't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. I can't remember what I called it exactly, but like to me, it kind of goes in two ways when we're talking about big ritual, at least a group ritual. So a lot of the ritual that was done like with TST Detroit specifically was, it was more of like, um, it was like political theater, I would say. Um, it was like speeches. Uh, the director of the TST Detroit at the time, Jack, she would, you know, like rile everybody up at a party and like give a speech. And so, and then there'd be people performing on stage, you know? So, um, and as things grew from there, you know, chapters started popping up around the country. We did an unbaptism, a very small, un we did the first unbaptism for TST in Detroit in 2016 in, in, uh, around Devil's Night. And that involved like a small amount of people that were getting unbaptized, still kind of like a performance. But then other chapters started developing and they started doing their own group rituals. So that I think I think those went across the spectrum. But um, but yeah, I I think, you know, rituals been happening in TST since its inception in one form or another. However, I think that at least my role in it was trying to really clarify that certain ways of practicing were okay. And and I guess like my biggest contribution started in 2018 when I started doing the the group rituals at the Satanic Temple headquarters. So for me that was and I didn't really talk about ritual up until like a year or two after that because I was so worried about pushback from people. And also like despite the fact that I've been really involved in like leadership behind the scenes, I still hadn't really made any sort of like public face for myself or like really promoted myself in any way as somebody who knew anything or would share just because I was I was just kind of scared of like not having permission to do that. So in 2018 in the fall, I got called to Salem, Massachusetts, where the, the new um, headquarters of the Satanic Temple was last minute to put together a black mass ritual, which was going to be recorded for Hail Satan and, and is like a couple of seconds of it are in the movie. But um, so I just I was like, well, I guess let's just see what happens. And pre previous to that, I'd done like put together ritual performances. I was doing music at the time and had done a whole bunch of like performances and that sort of thing. So um, I came in and I just, you know, saw what was folks were working with before and, you know, just kind of like tried not to fuck up too bad. And then <laughs> from there, I got the invitation to just keep coming back. So then. I expanded what we were doing, like the second year of the Black Mass ritual, the one in 2019, uh, you know, we put much more of our own spin to it. Cause again, like I wasn't sure what I was allowed to do and what I wasn't. And, and then after 2019 is when I really started like feeling more comfortable speaking openly about my practice. And like, you know, with the book, it, it was a huge milestone, I think. And it's received so much support more than I had ever imagined it would have uh, because it, it, I think it gives a lot of people permission to practice both, as a group and independently. And it, and, and it also says like, here's some scientific evidence, like previous to me doing this as a job, I was a scientist and I like worked in healthcare for a long time. And part of my, one of my previous jobs was doing like literature reviews and I'm very well versed in like academic articles and like, you know, scientific literature. And um, um, my, one of my previous jobs was like taking best practices and putting them to use like uh, through translational research. So I'm like, here's here's a whole bunch of evidence that it's okay to do and like shows you the benefits scientifically and here are things that I do and here are things that other people have done and like, it's cool. Like it's something that I think really adds uh, depth to your practice as a Satanist and can can help people in really significant ways. So, and I've gotten a lot of great feedback from that too. So I think if anything, my role was was just to kind of like, push push the envelope further go further down the spiral and just like get people into this think this way of thinking that's a bit different from what they were used to so because we had a lot of people who were like hard atheists um and they just thought that anything that you know even hinted at like 
that could be connected to supernaturalism or anything that was like not explicitly like black and white or like whatever hard logical was weird and i think that we can see that this sort of thing is hard logical now you know So in your book, The Devil's Tome, which is wonderful, and I finished it uh, uh, earlier this week, in your cord-cutting ritual, you wrote that you conducted a number of live burial rituals in the summer of 2019. I have to tell you, it's hard for me to even say those words because reading it stopped me dead in my tracks right there for a few moments. But I did keep reading. I, I kept reading. So, however, as I was reading, I realized that I really wanted to ask you about live burial rituals can you just give an explanation of that for me yeah i think you know a lot of the rituals that i developed uh, for the book were kind of based on things that i'd read about before or practices that i'd researched and that sort of thing and there's a book i don't know how live burial specifically it is but there's a there's a book that i started reading around the same time i maybe a little bit before i became a satanist when i started practicing ritual on my own called i believe it's like the journey to the dark goddess and i haven't read it in a long time and i always feel really weird about like recommending books to people because you know things are just weird people are just strange especially in, i think in this area of literature but um i remember it being really good and one of the things that she talks about is um having this sort of like death ritual that she she's a part of she talks about doing a big ritual um where she descends into the through this seven gates of hell that inana went through and like you know, imagining her own death. And then she has a community death ritual where she, I believe like there's a whole bunch of people that go out to a forest and I don't know if they actually bury people in the ground or they're just like putting a blanket over them and they act like they're at a eulogy or something like that. Anyways, I just thought the idea was really cool. And one of the things, death is such a strange concept for me. And I think that, uh, you know, any way for us to kind of get ourselves mentally and emotionally into a place where we can kind of accept grief and change is really powerful so i guess from like that that reading of that and then just reading some other stuff i my friend um heather from this she's an herbalist uh, she's got a business called hedgewitch holistics who's amazing and has partnered me with uh on a ton of stuff we we just we would come up with just random ideas for events or rituals and you know we'd all just be like yeah let's do it so we found <laughs> we just like found we have a friend that has a farm in Detroit and would let us use the space for this particular gathering. So the burial was part of a bigger, longer ritual day, but that was really interesting. First of all, it's really difficult to actually dig a grave. Let me just tell you, Heather and I were out there like 90 degree weather, like in June or July, like doing that, which was like really tough work. So, and then, you know, like everything else, we just figured things out on the fly. So we just uh, took a whole bunch of that dirt and put it on a blanket and we didn't cover people's faces. And we made sure like all the rituals that I do, I think it's very important to be consent based, which I don't think was, I still don't think that that's a thing in a lot of communities. And I think that that's something that I feel very strongly about. Like there's this idea that being like super intense and like super hard is like really great for like spiritual breakthroughs, which is fine if people are signed up for that. But like, you know, I always try to be really explicit in like what's going to happen. And like, if you feel are feeling comfortable when people are not feeling comfortable, because to me, that's like a core tenet of my own practice as a human being. Like I want everybody that I interact with to feel like they're doing what they're feeling comfortable with and, and they're not going too far. So basically what we did is we, um, dug the hole. We had people go through like an initial process. Then they'd end up, well, we took people one by one to the back and we laid them in, in the ground in this hole that we dug. And then um, we would tell them what was happening and we'd be there for the whole process. And basically the idea was that, you know, as they come into the earth and the dirt comes on them to imagine that you are just, you're, you're literally grounded and that you are just freeing yourself from anything that you've been holding on to. Like you're, you're imagining like whatever you're holding on to that is toxic, just kind of like, returning to the earth and just like disappearing, you know, just like seeping out of you being in the earth. And and for me, like being, I like really intense physical experiences in ritual. I think that it helps me get to a, a place I need to be mentally um, and emotionally to do the work. So this is kind of an exercise in that. And we had, I think it was about 20 people that went through the process, if I'm not mistaken. And um, people really seemed to, it seemed to resonate with people very strongly. So we had a lot of people crying. A lot of people were just like, talked about it afterwards about how helpful it was. Um, but yeah, we were there the whole time. We let people lay in the ground as long as they wanted. So some people, it might be like two minutes. Some people it was like 10 or 15 minutes. 
whatever they needed to do to just, you know, get whatever they needed to get out. And, uh, and we were there the whole time, just making sure that folks felt comfortable. We put as much dirt on people as they felt comfortable with too. So we had one person that actually went in there, you know, shirt like a guy the one guy who was part of the ritual he went in there like shirtless and like wanted to like a ton of dirt on him which is great and then we had other people that like you know had the blanket and a little bit of dirt on them so whatever it takes to get you there you know one of the things that i was so greatly struck by reading the devil's tome was were the rituals that were to change something about ourselves all centered around taking personal responsibility for our part in the situation we're attempting to heal from. So, and also to experience the feelings associated with those things. I absolutely love that you encourage actually feeling emotions during the process of ridding yourself of those emotions. We have been inundated with the whole sort of good vibes only toxic positivity culture for the last several years at least but shit happens and we have negative feelings and i working through them is infinitely better than just forgetting about them and pushing them aside and trying to cover them up with something else so thank you for being that responsible in your book to write that sort of ritual for readers to absorb well thank you yeah it, it, it's part of my that's, I mean, the core of my practice. I'm um, so much of my, at least for the last, you know, 10 years, so much of my work has been really along the same lines as I talk about in the book. I, everything that's in the book is like what I do, right? So it's just, um, I think a lot of us, especially people who turn to Satanism, have been through like really traumatic, everybody goes through trauma, but like a lot of us have come from really traumatic backgrounds and have, you know, been outsiders for a long time and have a lot of, just a lot of work that we're open to doing. So for me, so much of the work and growth that I've experienced has been a, through just like radical confrontation with parts of my life that were difficult or parts of myself, you know, that I found difficult or hard to accept. For me as a Satanist, I mean, another part of my values that rings the most true is that just like I'd be at the center, I'm the, the center deity figure, I guess you could say, of my practice, I find you know, as much as things could have happened to me that weren't my fault or I was a kid or whatever else, it's just like, you know, the only thing I really have control of at the end of the day is how I respond to situations. And the only future I can control is the one that I craft for myself. So there's like a million things that are out of my hands. What I can control is, is just how I behave, how I react and like how I process, you know, emotions. So a lot of my work just for me centers around just acceptance of like what happens. And then a lot of the other side of that is just like being very strategic and like visioning my future or like how I'm going to bring friends and lovers into my life or how I'm going to like structure my life going forward. So it's just for me, it's been a lot of really difficult like confrontation and, and um, kind of coming to agreement with myself about like who I am, what I've done, what I've been through and what I want happening in the future, you know. If that makes sense. <laughs> it does. Absolutely. And having been brought up under the oppression of Christianity, how difficult was it for you to break the habit of not allowing yourself to work through your emotions? Oh, I mean, I'm still working on it now. Like, honestly, I'm, I am so fortunate after, you know, all these great things started happening after I became a Satanist. I like, I, again, like I cut ties with toxic family and toxic people. It's a continuous, continuous I wouldn't say struggle, but like journey. Um, but I also have uh, about the same, yeah, the same year that I became a Satanist or the year after I, I met my husband, who's been like an incredibly supportive and accepting person. I, I mean, so much of the, so much of the work that I've done has been around shadow work and just, um, and being able to just process and, you know, even being with him and a the first couple of years into me just like doing that radical confrontation it it was like a really hard couple of years and, and I was diagnosed with PTSD and I finally saw a therapist which was amazing and has actually informed a lot of the ritual stuff that I talk about in the book too um and yeah it's just it's taken a long it's been a long slow process and I'm definitely I don't think I'll ever be through it it's just like a continuing reassessment of like you know where I am what I've been through what I'm feeling, like, who am I going to also for me, like a big part of my, my life now is just like being very careful about who I open up to or who I let into my world, especially, especially with the Satanism stuff, but especially just 
I mean, across the board, like I've built now I've built a pretty solitary life, like in the last year. And I really enjoy that. So it's, it's granted me a lot of, of silence and opportunity for self-reflection, which I appreciate and freedom. And um, it's just something that I look forward to digging into deeper and deeper because it, it just never goes away. It's always a part of, for me, it's always a part of what I think, what I'm thinking of or what I'm working on. So I devoured your book, The Devil's Tome, and in doing so, I, I wanted to say a couple of things about a few of the rituals in there. The revised Black Mass was absolutely beautiful to read. I know that Black Mass is by design supposed to be one of the most vulgar and offensive rituals imaginable that you can do specifically for Catholics. And yours was just gorgeous with the symbolism of the mother's breast milk while still managing to be profane with elements of, as you mentioned in the book, shock and blasphemy um, as well the I'm, I'm probably going to mangle this the solvature ambulando ritual yeah. is that, am i saying that yeah right? solvature okay. ambulando i think i don't even know how to pronounce it. it like i read things i don't know how to pronounce it so i'm just like right. <laughs> i'll just like, you know right right thing and then we i decided to call it that yeah Right. Oh, that was that was uh, for anyone who doesn't know what Hexenacht is. It's basically what witches celebrate as Beltane, and that was a, a Hexenacht ritual. And there was a labyrinth involved, um, and it was of particular importance to me as I walked a labyrinth with my now husband on the night we first kissed. So uh, I, I real I know right, super romantic. But the unbaptism ritual, I think, is by far my favorite of all the rituals in the whole book. I was specifically struck particularly by the symbolism of the participants hands being bound and tied while clasping an item from their past they brought to have destroyed that was very evocative for me tell me about your experiences with the unbaptism ritual in particular i um I participated in, in an unbaptism, the first one that TST had ever done in Detroit back in 2015, 2016, no, 2015. And again, like I mentioned before, that was more of a performance. We had 10 of us go on stage. We have a, a goth club that I DJ at and that some other folks do as well. So we, we had that experience there. Um, I don't know if the text for that exists anywhere, but it was very much more of like a I guess what I would call a traditional like performance based on baptism where it's like people come up on stage. They were like some, sh some people say shit about God or Jesus or whatever. And people are like, yeah, fuck God. And then like, you know, you go off stage and like, I don't know, that's, that's that. But for me, like, I guess, you know, the reason I called the book or talked about modern Satanism, Satanism in the book is that, um, and I've had some discussions with friends who are close about sort of the change that's happened I don't see Satanism so much as a reaction against like Catholicism or Christianity, which I, th I think a lot of people maybe initially like as like Anton LaVey or some of the other later practitioners had envisioned Satanism. It was, it was always this sort of like, it was a vehicle to like express your anger at like the status quo or Christianity or whatever it was. And for me, despite the fact that I grew up in like, a, you know, fucked up religious upbringing to me, it's like so much beyond that so I feel like you know the whole fuck god thing or whatever or like offense for for offense sake I don't find it to be like super liberating so for me um what unbaptism meant and going back to the black mass too like to me I was like the most profane and like controversial thing we could do right now as people as satanists is to actually like accept our own power and to like forgive ourselves for things that have happened it's like self-acceptance is like to me one of the most important things we can do and, you know, people, you know, folks don't want, the powers that be don't want folks who are marginalized or who, um, you know, don't have power to gain power. So that was kind of the idea that I had coming into the new, the newer black mass that's in the book. And then with the unbaptism, similarly, it's like, for me, it's my favorite ritual. I wrote that, it took a long time to figure out what that was going to look like. I think I wrote it like a day or two before we actually performed it, um, because for me, I have to wait until like inspiration strikes. So despite the fact I committed to this event, I didn't know what it was going to consist of specifically until just like shortly before, but it all came together really beautifully and um, organically. And I was going through, I was like dealing with some internal stuff at the time that I think I projected onto it and resonated with people. So for me, the, that on baptism, and I think the ones that I want to do in the future are just all around, just again, just kind of like recognizing 
a lot of the trauma that we've experienced and then just like symbolically freeing ourselves from it. So that particular ritual had, there were so many emotions that went into it and so many, the people who, who participated in the ritual and when we did it publicly, it was the most evocative and like emotionally charged ritual I'd ever and still have ever been a part of. So it was just like people were breaking down and these and the thing that I find interesting with these rituals too is that I think in a more traditional setting you know you do group ritual work with like a coven or or like a group of people or a chapter or a group of people that you know you've built trust with and who all know each other and with these ones that we do in Salem like they're public events and like we don't have like it's not like coven restricted or like there's no like inner circle of people that are just like doing these rituals on a regular basis we're bringing into the room like you know, in that case, I think we brought in 20 people who didn't know each other and who were open to like performing this emotional sort of cleansing. <laughs> and um, but yeah, people, the way people took to it was really amazing. Like people brought different artifacts from the house. The other thing that I found with ritual that made, especially in this context, when in, when you know you're not practicing ritual on a regular basis with a, a certain group of people, a way to kind of ground ground people and get them present is to do like pre-ritual work. So I'd send out an email like a week ahead and say like, these are the things you should be thinking about. Like, and then, you know, like a day before say like, you know, bring this with you. So people brought like, there's a person who brought a pill bottle. There's people who brought photographs. So basically, um, so, you know, people brought with them these really amazing symbols and um, pieces of their life that they wanted to free themselves from. And those people who didn't uh, could also just write something down in a piece of paper and, and use it in the ceremony. But um, yeah, it just, everything about it just touched people. And the thing that I tried to also emphasize with the unbaptism is that in every step, you know, despite the fact that I'm the person that's, um, that's overseeing the ritual, I guess you could say, everybody who is involved, you know, they have to say that they can sense whatever's happening so that they have to say that they're freeing themselves. You know, I'm not freeing them, they're freeing themselves. And I think that's another principle that I really take to heart as a practitioner and somebody who like works with other people is that like it's not about me I'm not your guru I'm not here to heal you or save you I'm here to help you take your facilitator yeah I'm a facilitator and like everybody has their own you I don't have any power over you you have power over yourself and I'm here to help you like channel that power right so anyways I thought that that again was like it seemed to resonate really well with people I, what I loved about it the most is as I was reading it, I was thinking to myself that this is perfect for someone like me who really had to reclaim my own power because a lot of people like, like myself were born again. I'm using air quotes here or saved, you know, washed in the blood. Yeah, same. (laughs) Um, Before an age of consent, I was like five. I didn't know what I was saying yes to. So it took me a very long time to sort of consolidate my feelings about Mm -hmm. that and to I, I still don't think I've actually, I still don't think that I have completely, clearly consolidated all those feelings. And I've considered uh, doing the unbaptism ritual myself because that it struck such a beautiful resonant chord with me that it's a string that I never plucked before. Like the light bulb went off. Oh, okay. I just need to take that back. Oh, that's so encouraging to hear actually. And, and I plan on releasing that publicly in September. I think I'm slowly kind of releasing a lot of the rituals in the book to the general public. Cause I think it should be, you know, the public should have access to it. Um, but yeah, that makes me feel really happy. And that's the thing too. I tried to figure out how to translate that to like a solo practitioner's experience. And I'm pretty excited with the way that that turned out. So If I asked you to tell me what do you think the most valuable piece of wisdom or insight is that you've gained through your path of Satanism? I think ultimately that I'm responsible for my own life and happiness, which sounds like really cliche to say, but like, honestly, I don't think, I think people can say that as much as they want, but until like it's fully absorbed within their, inside of themselves, it it doesn't even make any sense. You know, I think that especially in our culture too, even if you look at like what's happening now politically, like despite the facts and I'll, I'll get political because that's what I do. But like, you know, yeah. <laughs> even with conservatives and everything. And I, I, you know, I appreciate, I appreciated like your intro when you talked about uh, all of the current issues that are happening. It's like, there's so many, so many people, especially on the conservative side, but I think it goes across the board who are just like, I'm a victim. 
I don't want to wear my mask. I don't want to, you know, pay taxes for the greater good. I don't want to this, that, and the other. I'm just a victim constantly over and over again. And so much of, I think that's just the feeling I had considering, well, considering I was a victim, you know, like legitimately as a child to a lot of things, but like, I really, I hadn't, like, nobody's going to say like, I'm sorry for that. You know what I mean? Unlike so much of what I've experienced in my life, it's, it's not like the pull yourselves up, yourself up with your bootstraps necessarily spiritual practice, I would say, but it's something of just like, just being aware of your own power for me and like just getting rid of, rid of any sense of victimhood I have. And it's like, I've learned to be like, not afraid of power and to be more strategic and centered and accepting of myself. Uh, I don't think that's like a, like a short sound bite, but there's so many things like, um, there's so many things brought into that that kind of soup that I've that I've uh that I've really taken to heart over the last couple of years so it's, it's just for me it's about self-acceptance knowing your power and um you know being able to work through any being able to work through anything knowing that you are you're the center of your universe and you have the power to change your life and to heal All right, let's talk about Serpentina. Yes. I got to tell you, I'm an online shopper, deluxe, and I absolutely love Serpentina, the website. What is your current favorite item for sale that you made with your own hands on your website? Yeah, like 90% of it's made. That's the cool thing, too. Like when I set out to do this shop, I wanted everything to be handmade. So there's probably it's probably a tie. So um, before we got going on this, you mentioned Lupercalia, and I think that might be my favorite scent. Um it's gorgeous. So like the perfume, there's like a couple of perfumes I would wear regularly. Lupercalia is one of them. Cause I really tried to get like that blood scent, like blood and leather. Uh, I really enjoy that one. I just did a limited edition and I'm releasing a couple more of them. Um, black mass uh, perfumes that use dirt from the actual black mass last year at Satanic Temple headquarters. So I love that because it's a perfume with dirt inside of it. So I like shake the bottle and see the dirt <laughs> and it smells really good. Um, and then probably, probably the devotion kit, which is a surprisingly hot seller. It's kind of expensive, but it has like so much stuff in it. What's in it? Tell me what's in um, it. So it's basically, yeah, it's the full kit to do the devotion ritual as it's written in the book. And, and I will say like, I, if you get the book, I explain like, if you don't have all the ingredients, use whatever you have. Like, that's the most important thing, right? Like whatever it takes for you to get there, that's it. But this one, let me think if I can remember everything. The devotion ritual, again, is the one that centers around self-acceptance and is probably maybe tied with my favorite, might be my favorite ritual in the book. It's definitely the thing that I kind of come back to um, most, but it's got a lipstick in there because you actually, part of the ritual is to like write things about yourself that you don't like or have absorbed that other people have said. Um, it's a it's a bathing ritual. Um, it's got a body scrub that's made with the devotion scent that I've created. It's got tourmaline, uh, which I use a lot for grounding, rose quartz. It's got um, in the devotion incense. It's got the ritual. It's got a dove's blood and a quill pen, too. One of the things that I've been doing is taking the illustrations from the book and creating like these really beautiful lapel pins, too. So I, I'm a person who likes pins. And for me, when I'm working through... When I'm working through things, I like to have physical reminders of my work. So I created the pins to correspond with um, a number of the rituals so that people can wear them and just like remind, remind themselves of the work that they've done. Um, yeah, so that one, that's probably another favorite of mine on the website. So I, as time goes on, I'm going to create more ritual kits that people can. So people can just, if they want to do a specific ritual and don't want to buy the ingredients and just want to be true to the book, they can just like pick those up on the site too and um i'm really excited about the unbaptism one so that's going to come out in september along with me releasing the ritual publicly and uh that one's going to be really cool so which product of unbaptism will it, will it be so this will be like a whole ritual kit so this will be like everything you need yeah. to do it at home which isn't a lot of stuff but like enough enough that it'll be cool i think to put it all together i'm gonna so. buy that sister i'm telling you right now i'll send one to you it'll be great <laughs> Excellent. Okay. So uh, tell me a little bit why, as a Satanist, your favorite holiday is your birthday. Yeah, it just goes back to this idea that I'm the most important person in my own universe. Uh, as weird as I think as strange as that can sound to some people, especially if you were 
grew up in a sort of environment where you're you're taught to like hate yourself or like you know disparage yourself which is the, the environment that i grew up in uh to feel guilty about like being at the center of attention i don't know i like it now i revel in it so um i try to kind of take that birthday energy to every day yeah. <laughs> like i feel like i sound like paris hilton right now but like <laughs> you know like i i enjoy I enjoy celebrating myself. I enjoy living a life of pleasure. You know what I mean? And and I, it, that doesn't mean that I'm like at the spa every day and like, you know, whatever, whatever. It just means that like I try to enjoy every moment of my life. And the birthday is like the the, the sort of center of that universe. So um, it's just a really nice day to just for me. And and I extend it out like a couple weeks, but just to like focus on myself and like I do sometimes I do ritual around there. So I'm reassessing where I'm at where I want to go. I'm just doing things that make me happy. I'm with people that make me happy. Um, and so it's a great day of celebration, especially for somebody, again, who was raised, you know, thinking that, that there's something wrong with that. Sure. So for me, it's like a fuck you. <laughs> it's a fuck you and it's like, yay me. <laughs> I really like that. One of the reasons I gelled so much with Satanism and I was so hesitant to get involved with like other more formal religions after I came out of Christianity was because like the dogma and the hierarchy and like the rules, I'm just not that person. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm very much more individually centered, kind of like an anarchist at heart. So um, we're just kind of figuring things out as we go along, doing our best, which is also, I think from an outsider's perspective, kind of, it can be really fascinating to look at, which I think some like modern scholars are starting to look at now, but like, you know, we're just, we're just a baby. We're like not even 10 years old yet. We're just like a pre, we're like a sassy pre-teenager right now. So if you were to impart one piece of advice to someone that was seeking information about the satanic temple or satanic ritual within the satanic temple, what would you tell them? Wow. One piece of advice. Uh, probably, I guess, check out my book. That sounds terrible, but like, I tried to like put it all into context. I don't think there are a lot of like, there aren't a lot of resources for people right now who want to practice, uh, the ritual portion of, of this, this brand of Satanism. So I think like my website or book are, is a good way to start, but if you're just looking into Satanism in general, I think checking out the satanic temples website, um, the tenets, the tenets specifically are great. And, and then just the, I think a lot of people, even now as a young religion, are getting caught up in like, what should I be doing? What should I be doing? Like, is this okay? Is it not? And I think it's just like, even within this brand of Satanism, it's just like, trust yourself in your practice. Like, that's probably the most important thing. Like, you can look to these, these resources as a guide, but like, ultimately just do what feels right for you. All right, Shiva, is there anything else you want to talk about that I have not yet broached the topic of? Yeah, I was just going to mention that um, I am working on some ritual music now, too. Music's always uh, played a very important part in my inner work and my spiritual or ritual practice. So currently, as a part of the initial um, campaign for the Devil's Tome to get it published, I promised the Indiegogo supporters that pledged that I would provide some music, ritual music for them. So I'm working on a couple of tracks right now that I should be releasing to the Indiegogo supporters within the next week or two. Um, that will be a part of the Serpentina music project. Um, I'm working with a, my old friends and bandmate Kyle and also Lucian and possibly some other folks to put together a record that would consist of a song for each of the each of the solo rituals, at least, that is a part of the book. So I'm super excited about that. Music is something that has been a really important part of my life and I kind of ebb and flow with. So I'm super excited to put my energies in the next uh, couple months into that. And then I've also, I'm also working with Satanic Planet. I'm gonna be on a couple of tracks um, on their upcoming release. And I know they're just kind of in the midst of production right now, but I'm also super excited to see that happen. So that should be really fun. Unfortunately, we were supposed to do a tour earlier this year and we were supposed to, I was supposed to do a kind of a book tour too, but we're, I'm just trying to figure, we're all trying to just figure out how to do this online at, at the moment. And hopefully in, in a couple of years, we'll be on the road again, uh, giving some interesting religious experiences to folks. I would like to thank my guest, Shiva Honey, for joining me today. Shiva, thank you so very much for taking the time out of, I know what is your busy schedule, to talk with me and all of us today. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was an honor.
There's a brand new podcast every Wednesday. And as always, if you have questions or comments about this or any other episode of this podcast, or if there's a topic you'd like to hear about on a future episode, again, just hit the message button on the Anchor app or on the Anchor webpage from your web browser. You might hear yourself on an upcoming episode. Stay at home. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. I hope you never hunger and I hope you never thirst. As above, so below. Thanks for listening. And if you liked it, let me know and tell a friend. And hail yourself. I'm Molly Dyer. This is Witchcraft Off the Beaten Path. Mm-hmm.